Happy Mother's Day. It's a blessing to preach on Mother's Day from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to 2, 11. The title for the sermon is, Hannah, a Faithful and Prayerful Mother. Let's pray, briefly. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, the best day of the week. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you for those songs that we were singing that glorify you and motivate us to live for your glory. I pray that we'll continue to worship you right now through the preaching of your word. And I pray especially for the moms today that they're edified and encouraged and equipped to be godly mothers. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by giving you an overview of the historical context at this pivotal point in Israel's history. With respect to the historical dates, here's a big snapshot right here. Abraham lived roughly about 2000 BC, and Moses lived roughly about 1500 BC. First Samuel begins with the birth of Samuel, who was born roughly around 1100 BC. The books of first and second Samuel document the complex transition of 12 tribes without a national government ruled by various judges to a unified nation with a national government under the rule of a king. The time of the judges was from Joshua's conquest about 1398 BC until the establishment of the monarchy about 1043 BC. This was a spiritually dark and sinful time in Israel's history. Judges chapter 17 verse 6 in the last verse in Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, summarize the bleak historical situation that Hannah finds herself providentially born into. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel document the historical fulfillment of promises made by God about the rise of kingship in Israel. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 17, verse 16, this general promise becomes more focused with Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, which narrows the future king as coming from the tribe of Judah. This points toward King David and even beyond to the greater David, Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. After diligently studying for the sermon, I found an outline suitable to help me frame some alliteration, some main points for each section of the scripture I'll be covering. And the source is the Outline Bible by Liberty University Professor Harold Wilmington. It's a good resource to recommend that you get. Accordingly, the family of Hannah will be described this way, as her spouse, her sorrow, her supplication, her son, and her song. Spouse, sorrow, supplication, son, and her song. To save time for this short sermon of only about 40 minutes maximum, hopefully, I will not read the scripture again. That was a blessing to hear that read. I will, will however, uh, draw attention to the parts of the scripture that are most important for clarification and emphasis. An overview of the main points will be given with a special emphasis today on the godly qualities that we're going to see beautifully displayed by Hannah. Within the framework of 1 Samuel, 
1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2, I want to paint a picture of godly motherhood. Hannah, an extraordinary woman of God. Hannah, a prayerful and faithful mother. In the first five verses of our biblical text, we're introduced to Hannah's husband, Elkanah. He lived in Ramah in a small town about five miles north of Jerusalem. Verse 1 says he is an Ephraimite. However, this actually refers to the geographic area where he was from. We learn from the genealogies in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. See, those are important. That he is a Levite. This is very important because the Levitical, this Levitical lineage prepares the way for his son Samuel to be qualified to serve as priest in the tabernacle. In verse 2, we learn that this godly man, Elkanah, did not, he did not demonstrate the patience of Hannah. This caused much heartache. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Hannah was probably his first wife for three reasons. First, she is named first. Second, since Hannah was barren, unable to have children for a time, Elkanah married Peninnah, who was able to have children. Third, Hannah was probably Elkanah's first wife simply because he loved her the most. Polygamy, having more than one wife, was culturally acceptable during this time of history in Israel. This was man's way. This was not God's way. This was man's way of having children for economic production, carrying on the family line and inheritance. However, we know that monogamy, one wife for life, is what is acceptable to God. Amen? Despite Elkanah's ungodly decision to have two wives, overall, he was still godly. This is demonstrated by his godly leadership in the home. Beginning in verse 3 and following, we see that he would, take year, he would yearly take his family to worship at Shiloh. Shiloh was located about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. And Shiloh was the main place for worship and sacrifice at this point of Jewish history. The tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant were located there. Yearly does not mean once a year. Yearly has the meaning of multiple times during the year in this context. Elkanah faithfully and consistently took his family to three annual feasts at Shiloh. His obedience to this requirement of every Jewish man was certainly a blessing to Hannah and his family. Hannah faithfully submitted to her husband's godly leadership in the home by faithfully following him to the house of worship in Shiloh. They would go to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. This is the first use, the first use of this name of God in the Old Testament. In brief, this combination of the name Yahweh and host powerfully points to God's sovereignty over all his creation. Host primarily refers to the angelic armies of the universe. Yahweh is leader of the host or armies of, of Israel also. Here's a question. What is the relevance of this first occurrence of the Lord of hosts here at this particular point in history? Remember the big picture here for 1 Samuel. This is a tremendous transition from a theocracy to a monarchy. This is a transition for the Israelites to be led by the king of glory from his heavenly throne to be led by human kings sitting on an earthly throne. 
How can they have an earthly king like the nation surrounding them and still be ultimately ruled by the king of glory in heaven? Here's the answer. The Israelites could have a successful transition to a monarchy if they would faithfully bow the knee to Yahweh as the king of glory, the Lord of hosts. Yes, that sounds familiar. We just read that in Psalm chapter 24, verse 10. Praise God for his providence in that. In other words, faithfully embracing this attribute or character of God's sovereignty, of his control, think about this, of his caring control in protection during a time of need, this would give them the strength to faithfully submit to him, to obey him, and to be blessed in the land. Okay, another question. How does this relate to Hannah, who is the classic example of a godly mother? And I just gave you a hint, and I'll give you another hint now and explain it shortly in our next section of Scripture. It is to the Lord of hosts that Hannah prays to in verse 11. This is translated as Lord Almighty. Lord Almighty in the NIV. In verses 4 and 5, we see the public honor expressed from Elkanah to Hannah at a festive social feast associated with the peace offering or sacrifice. He loved Hannah and gave her a double portion of this meat. This double portion was the best or most honorable piece of the peace offering. Elkanah's love for Hannah is better appreciated considering the historical context of the tragedy, of the tragedy of barrenness for Jewish women. It was socially permissible for the husband to actually divorce an infertile wife. However, Elkanah actually loved his barren wife more than Peninnah. This preference for Hannah would have caused Peninnah to be jealous. This explains why Peninnah was a rival, an adversary, even an enemy of Hannah. Amazingly, despite the obvious problems associated with bigamy here, one husband and two wives, the marriage between Elkanah and Hannah was still strong. This strong marriage, which implies Hannah's love for her husband, prepares the way for her being a godly mother. Did you hear that? This strong marriage prepares the way for her being a godly mother. Notice that. One of the keys to prepare to be a godly, devoted mother is first to be a godly, devoted wife. I'll repeat that. One of the keys to prepare to be a godly, devoted mother is first to be a godly, devoted wife. So far, we have, be, we have uh, begun to sketch a portrait of Hannah by looking at her husband in the first five verses of 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now we are ready to move from her spouse to her sorrow in verses 6 through 8. Her sorrow in verses 6 through 8. The end of verse 5 and the end of verse 6 both say that the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. God sovereignly caused her barrenness. It was God's providence that postponed her pregnancies. God was molding Hannah into his masterpiece during this trial. Barrenness, not being able to have children, was considered a disgrace for a Jewish woman. She was considered a failure by society for being childless. Accordingly, Peninnah, her rival, would provoke Hannah bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. My new King James translates this as, 
Her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable. Peninnah kept on provoking her, kept on taunting her, kept on irritating her year after year as they went up to the house of the Lord. No doubt, Peninnah also jeered at Hannah between these visits to Shiloh. Peninnah irritated or literally thundered against Hannah. Imagine the stress of a two-day, 20-mile journey from Ramah to Shiloh. First, Hannah was already sorrowful for being childless. Second, her rival constantly tormented her with the goal of making her even more sorrowful, more sad, more miserable. Hannah's sorrow was so deep that she wept, she cried, and she would not eat. She was so sad that her husband was not able to provide relief for her with his tender and encouraging words in verse 8. Women, girls, moms, have you ever felt like this after being unjustly criticized by another? Look at Hannah's godly example here. Notice, notice this. Notice what she did not do. She did not respond with hurtful words to Peninnah. Instead, Hannah faithfully responds with grace, living up to what her name means, grace. Hannah means grace. Hannah did not dispute with Peninnah, nor did Hannah complain to her husband, nor did Hannah complain to God. So what did Hannah do with her deep pain? What did she do with her sorrow? Her pain causes her to pray, to passionately pray. Her sorrow causes her to make supplications. We have briefly looked at her spouse and her sorrow. Now we will look at her supplication in verses 9 through 18. In verses 9 through 18. A supplication is a humble prayer of request or petition to God for something specific. Hannah leaves one, one of the festive meals to go to the temple to pray. This was supposed to be a joyous time, but she was in great anguish. Please look at verse, verses 10 and 11. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Hannah is passionately prayerful, passionately prayerful. She is crying out to God in prayer as she is weeping. She boldly, but humbly, makes a vow to God in her prayer. She prays to the Lord, to Yahweh, to give her a son. Notice this. Notice that she does not pray for children, but for a son. She prays fervently for a son in vows or promises to dedicate her son to serve God for his entire life. She even committed his hair not being cut as a sign of consecration. Her son would be a Nazarite. So, the first point to notice here about her prayer is her vow. Her vow. Hannah demonstrates a bold commitment with her vow, a bold commitment. 
Sure, she yearns to be a mother. However, her prayer is unselfish. It's unselfish because she vows to give her son back to God, the giver of this precious gift. Hannah has a holy ambition, a holy ambition for her son to be a blessing to Israel. What does that make you think of? We want our sons and daughters to be a blessing for our country. That should be our holy ambition. John MacArthur writes this, quote, It has been God's plan from the beginning that women should train and nurture godly children and thus leave a powerful imprint on society through the home. Hannah is a classic illustration of how that works. She is a reminder that mothers are the makers of men and the architects of the next generation. Her earnest prayer for a child was the beginning of a series of events that helped turn back the spiritual darkness and backsliding in Israel. She set in motion a chain of events that would ultimately usher in a profound spiritual awakening at the dawn of the Davidic dynasty. Warren Wearsby likewise comments about the profoundness of Hannah's promise, the profoundness of her prayer. Quote, it's an awesome fact that humanly speaking, the future of the nation rested with this godly woman's prayers. And yet, how much of history has depended on the prayers of suffering and sacrificing people, especially mothers? Another aspect of Hannah's prayer is to appreciate that she is praying to the Lord of hosts. She is calling on the commander-in-chief of the armies of all creation to help her in the spiritual battle she has been engaged in. Yahweh is the Lord Almighty, powerful and personal. Powerful and personal to meet this need of Hannah and of Israel's need for a leader at this critical moment in her history. All of us, especially sorrowful, discouraged mothers can prayerfully, can faithfully embrace Psalm chapter 46, verse 7a. Psalm chapter 46, verse 7a. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. Another aspect to highlight in Hannah's prayer is her humility. Her humility. Three times she humbly calls herself God's maidservant. God's maidservant. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says this, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Hannah is, is an example of humility in prayer. She also, she shows a submissive attitude here, a submissive attitude by calling herself a maidservant or servant of God. Again, Hannah's prayer is not selfish. It's not selfish. Her prayers avow a promise, a commitment to personal sacrifice. Her prayer is actually selfless, selfless. Hannah is faithful to pray, even though she was deeply distressed. She is faithful to pray in the midst of her heartache, 
in her heartache. She poured out her heart to God. In addition to her passionate praying, you can write that down too, passionate praying, we see her persistence in praying. Her persistence in praying. Ladies, moms, girls, this constant contact with God through prayer is strategic for victory. Verse 12, verse 12 says that Hannah continued praying. She continued praying. She is a godly example of praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, she exemplifies praying always and praying with perseverance. According to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, she exemplifies obedience to Jesus' command to us to always pray and not lose heart or give up. Don't give up. According to Luke chapter 18, verse 1, she is continuing steadfastly in prayer. According to Romans chapter 12, verse 12, she is faithfully devoted to fervent prayer in the midst of of her persecution and pain. In summary, for Hannah's supplication, we see this. We see the theological insight with the choice of a particular name of God. Humility, faithfulness, passion, boldness, the commitment of a vow, submission, sacrifice, and persistence, and there's probably more. There is actually a protest to Hannah's prayer. We see Eli's condemnation of her prayer and Hannah's clarification of her prayer in verses 12 through 16. Eli was the chief priest at Shiloh. His lack of discernment as a spiritual leader, is shocking here. He was not able to recognize real fervent praying when he saw it. Eli falsely accused Hannah of being drunk because she was praying in her heart instead of the usual praying out loud. He should have commended her instead of condemning her. We see Hannah's godly character again with her usual gracious and humble response. Her clarification is memorably expressed by Bible commentators this way. Far from pouring herself too many drinks, she had been pouring out her soul before the Lord. The end of verse 15, we see this. Hannah told Eli, I have not drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. I'll repeat that. But I have poured out my soul before the Lord. This is a powerful picture of passionate praying. Ladies, mothers, do you pour out your souls, your hearts before the Lord in prayer like this? Consider and contemplate Psalm chapter 62, verse 8. Psalm chapter 62, verse 8. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. After more explanation about why she is praying with such sorrow, with agonizing anxiety, 
Eli quickly changed his tune in verse 17 by giving a very short benediction in prayer for her. He says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. Hannah humbly responded and left the tabernacle no longer sad, but encouraged. In verse 18, this is a wonderful example of Psalm chapter 55, 22a. Psalm 55, 22a. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. We see her prayerfulness and faithfulness shining brightly. One author writes this challenging idea to us. I'm giving you a little warning that it's coming. Quote, some people will pray, oh God, here's my problem. And then leave his presence in complete doubt and frustration. Still shouldering the same burden they originally brought before the Lord not really trusting him to sustain them. Hannah truly laid her troubles in the lap of the Lord, totally confident that he would answer her in accord for what was best for her. There's a real humility in that kind of faith, unquote. I have been given an overview of 1 Samuel chapter 1. So far in discussing Hannah's family, we have very briefly looked at her spouse, her sorrow, and her supplication. Now, we will see the answer to Hannah's prayerfulness. This section of scripture in verses 19 to 28 shows us her son. Verses 19 to 28, her son. We will also see this, Hannah's faithfulness to reverently and obediently follow through on her vow to the Lord of hosts. Her son, Samuel, is conceived, born, and dedicated to serve God forever as one of Israel's greatest leaders. Let's pick up our narrative right after Eli's encouraging benediction uh, to Hannah. Moms, please listen to this. Please listen to this. Hannah experienced the peace of God. Moms, you can experience the peace of God. You can experience the peace of God. This peace of God in the midst of the incredible challenges you battle with daily can be a reality to you by God's grace and for his glory be prayerful and faithful as a mother please listen very closely to two Bible verses you ought to what memorize and meditate on be blessed by faithfully and passionately praying these two Bible verses when before during and after your daily duties as a mom and wife from jail, the Apostle Paul joyfully writes this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. With this peace of God guarding her heart, the next morning for worship was perhaps extra special for Hannah. Likewise, the journey back to Ramah was probably more pleasant than their previous journey to Shiloh. Elkanah and Hannah had experienced uh, Elkanah and Hannah experienced intimacy upon returning home. As Hannah had previously prayed, the Lord remembered her, so to speak. Yahweh remembered her by lavishly granting her prayer request to conceive and give birth to a son. Glory to the King of glory, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. She named him Samuel. His name literally means name of God. Hannah says she gave him this name because she asked for him from the Lord. The next three years will be spent not only breastfeeding Samuel, but we can be sure that devoted and godly Hannah did what? Prayerfully and faithfully fed him the sweet milk of the word of God. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. She prayerfully and faithfully prepared him to serve, serve the Lord in the tabernacle. Her reverence and obedience to Yahweh saturated Samuel. The effect of her powerful prayer life was obviously passed down to Samuel. Isn't that what we want? We want to have passionate, passionate prayer lives that are passed down to our kids into future generations. All right. Samuel. Let's fast forward right in the middle of this narrative. Let's fast forward ahead to Samuel's life. Very briefly. He became one of the greatest leaders of the Bible. He became one of the great prayer warriors of the Old Testament up there with Moses, according to Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1. He is said to be a king maker, a king maker, because he anointed the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. He was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets after Moses. You can see how he is like a bridge making the transition between God ruling through various judges and God ruling through various earthly kings. In short, Samuel was a Levite, a Nazarite, a prophet, a priest, a kingmaker, a judge, and an intercessor via prayer. Samuel was a bright light that helped to lead Israel out of a dark time. Back to our historical narrative. Elkanah continued to lovingly support Hannah by saying this to her in verse 23. Do what seems best to you. Hannah had decided not to take Samuel back to Shiloh until she weaned him. It was common for people in the east to nurse children for about three years. One reason, I'm sure there's more, one reason for this extended period of time for nursing was that there was no way to keep milk sweet. Once Samuel was weaned, the big day to faithfully fulfill her vow had finally arrived. 
Elkanah and Hannah took Samuel to the temple along with the appropriate sacrifices required for his dedication to the Lord. They sacrificed the bull and then presented Samuel as a living sacrifice, so to speak. Romans 12.1. They presented Samuel as, as a living sacrifice to Eli the priest. Again, we see the faithfulness of Hannah, the faithfulness of Hannah to keep her promise to God. Moms, imagine how piercingly painful this must have been for her to send off her little boy, especially at such a tender age. Furthermore, consider the bad environment at the tabernacle with Eli's wicked sons, the notoriously evil priests. Hannah and Elkanah demonstrated walking by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith and not by sight. In 2 Corinthians 5-7, they trusted God to watch over Samuel and to protect him from the immorality, the pollution at the tabernacle. Also, Hannah was faithful to continue to be a godly influence on Samuel during his younger and formative years. Briefly look, at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 19. This is, this is touching. 1 Samuel 2, 19. Then they arose early in the morning. Pardon me? 1 Samuel 2, 19. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Again, let's step right back into our narrative to when Hannah brings Samuel to the tabernacle in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 26. It had been about four years, so she reminds Eli who she is. Godly Hannah then breaks forth with a testimony. She bursts forth with a testimony, praising God for graciously answering her prayers for a son. She gives one of the most famous answered prayers, prayer reports of all time. Right here in chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Eli appropriately responds to her testimony and dedication to Samuel to help him minister in the tabernacle. He appropriately responds with worship at the end of verse 28. We have seen the family of Hannah with her spouse, her sorrow, her supplication, and her son. Now we will finish on time by making only a, a few comments on her song. This prayer can be called a song because of its lyrical, hymn-like, and poetic qualities. It is strikingly sim similar to Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter 1. Hannah is overwhelmed with thankfulness for God's greatness in answering her prayer for her son. Moms, your prayerfulness and faithfulness can grow stronger as you studiously attain more theological insight. You probably weren't expecting that. Hannah expresses a deep understanding of God's character and attributes here. She worships God in spirit and truth. She prayerfully praises His holiness, His omniscience, His sovereignty, His power, His compassion, and His justice. In verse 10, 
we see that Hannah even got a glimpse, so to speak, of Jesus Christ. In the last part of this verse, she prays that he, referring to the Lord of Yahweh, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The near fulfillment of this king refers to King David, whom her son Samuel would anoint. But the ultimate fulfillment of this king refers to Jesus Christ. The English word for Messiah actually comes from this Hebrew word for anointed. Now this is the historical and theological big picture for Hannah being a godly mother. Her son Samuel anointed King David, who foreshadowed the greater David, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus will one day sit on David's throne during the millennial kingdom. This leads me to ask a very important question. I have a gospel question for everybody here, but especially to the moms today. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life and as your only Savior from sin's penalty and power? Moms, have you repented from your sins and turned to trust Jesus Christ alone in faith for the forgiveness of all your sins? Have you trusted Him as your substitute on Calvary's cross? Have you trusted that He died on the cross for you, was buried and rose triumphantly on the third day, defeating sin, death, and the devil? Has your heart been radically changed? Is Jesus Christ precious to you? The first key to be a godly mother is to be a Christian mother. Moms, listen up as we close. God is omniscient or all-knowing. He knows your heart's desire to be the best mom you can be. He knows all the tremendous sacrifices you make daily as a devoted mom and wife. God is very compassionate and cares about you. By God's strengthening grace and for His glory, you can embrace Hannah's example of prayerfulness and faithfulness. Put into more consistent practice some of the godly virtues that Hannah exemplified. We learn, in addition to her prayerfulness and faithfulness, she also modeled humility, passion, boldness, the commitment of a vow, Theological insight, submission, sacrifice, persistence, reverence, obedience, love for her husband, love for her son, and love for God. Moms, be encouraged. Be encouraged as we end with this quote from the author of 12 Extraordinary Women. Quote, Scripture says God blessed Hannah with five more children, three sons and two daughters in chapter 2, verse 21. Her home and family life became rich and full. 
She was blessed by God to be allowed to achieve every ambition she ever longed to fulfill. Her love for heaven, husband, and home are still the true priorities for every godly wife and mother. Her extraordinary life stands as a wonderful example to women today who want their homes to be places where God is honored, even in the midst of a dark and sinful culture. Hannah showed us what the Lord can do through one woman totally and unreservedly devoted to him. May her tribe increase. Unquote. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture which saves. We thank you for your scripture which sanctifies. And I pray that the scripture today that was preached will be uh, thought about and applied and obeyed, especially by the moms, so they can follow the godly example of Hannah in prayerfulness and faithfulness and all those other qualities we talked about, so that they can follow you, God, and bring glory to you and be a blessing to their families and to this generation and future generations. In Jesus' name, amen.